Our passage of scripture today comes from Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Um, As you already heard uh, from John, I just wanted to add my big, big uh, word of thank you to all of the staff and interns and volunteers who served to make the Christ City Day Camps this year so phenomenal. We ran three weeks of day camps, as you know, one with the youth and then two with the kids. And uh, I just know well over 100 students were really blessed. And I just want to say a big thank you. I love our team and the desire to shape the hearts and minds of the next generation by just pouring into them. So if you served in that, thank you so much. What an absolute joy it is to, uh, to be able to, to serve God together like this. What I want us to see today is how the God of Psalm 47 satisfies the deepest longings of the hearts of the broader cultural moment we're living in. I want us to see that what is revealed in this text of Scripture and in the rest of the Bible that surrounds it can lead us to a place of deep satisfaction and fill our lives with a deep sense of meaning. Let me, let me just zoom out for a second to, to talk about what I see as a crisis of our generation. And then we're going to zoom back in to focus on the God who I think is the answer to that crisis. Okay, but if we just zoom out for a moment... The crisis of our cultural moment is a a confluence or a coming together of two broad cultural assumptions and really of nearly everyone living in a secular post-Christian Western society. What do I mean? There are two things that people want out of life. And the problem is they are working against one another like um, repelling magnets of the same pole. You can't push them together and have both of them. And and this is like the operating system uh, of the collective culture of the city that we live in. Okay, let let me explain what I really am trying to get at here. First, we live in a world where people have been raised to want and expect individual autonomy. We desire to effectively rule over our own life where the answer to the desires that we have is an elevation of the individual into the place of highest authority. And second, we live in a world where people have been raised to want and expect a life of meaning. We desire to live with an abiding sense of purpose and meaning in what we participate in on a daily basis. Okay? We are promised that we can have a life of total, personal, individual autonomy. And we are promised that we can live a life of purpose and meaning. 
We're promised both of those, both those, they're both cultural assumptions that we live in in the city of Vancouver. Now, human beings who try and hold on to both of those get really, really frustrated. This is the problem. We are told that we will get joy from independence and that we are then supposed to manufacture our own meaning in life. What happens is we then have an existential crisis when that doesn't materialize. We are told that we're going to get joy from independence and that we're supposed to manufacture meaning on our own and that we, we, we are supposed to figure all of that out on our own by ourselves because we sort of live in this world of the sovereign self. But what happens is we have an existential crisis when both of these things don't happen. Yeah, there's a better way. And Psalm 47 points us in the right direction. Psalm 47 is this beautiful picture of God being worshipped as the most high God. The God of the nations, the God of all peoples, the God of all the earth, the God of all the promises that he made to Abraham, the God who we most clearly see revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus, who the Bible tells us is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we rightly order our desires, which is what I'm hoping we will do coming out of this sermon, and we surrender to his lordship, we see that he is the most high God who invites us into a life of purpose and meaning as we participate with him in what he is doing in the world. So the solution to the crisis of our cultural moment is to see God for who he is and to understand our role in the world. Let me say it again. The solution to the crisis of our cultural moment is to see God for who he is and to understand our role in the world. Two points. Joy through surrender. Meaning through participation. These are meant to be two corresponding points to what I've just laid out as what I think is a cultural crisis in the moment that we're living in. Joy through surrender and meaning through participation. Look at the text, verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Now, I don't know if I have a problem in my own life, but I never grew out of the why stage. So when, when I read verse 1 of Psalm 47, the psalmist says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. My first instinct is to say, why? Verse 2 answers that. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. So when I ask the question, why? Why would I worship in this way? Verse 2 begins with four, connecting it to verse 1. Because verse 2 is true, you should do verse 1. The call to worship is because of who he is. Now, there's a lot here in the first four verses of Psalm 47, so let's just slow down, break it down for a moment. Look at verse 1 again. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Okay? Fear here in the text is not terror, but reverential awe. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. It's not to be afraid like I'm afraid of snakes and spiders. It's to be in awe like you are when something is awesome. 
The most high God is to be feared, writes the psalmist. But notice the people here in the text are not shaking, they're rejoicing. Awe is good for them. Christ City, awe is good for you. I just got a new book uh, by a guy named Michael Reeves. Um, it's called Rejoice and Tremble. There's a section where he talks about some of this, and, and there's a, an article that he references that comes from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Listen to this. I quote, When individuals encounter an entity that is vast and challenges their worldview, they feel awe, which leads to self-diminishment and subsequently humility. They also found, again, I quote, inducing awe led participants to present a more balanced view of their strengths and weaknesses to others. In, you, you can hear that as they were more honest. And acknowledge, again, I'm quoting, to a greater degree the contribution of outside forces in their own personal accomplishments. This is a right estimation of one's self, an honest estimation of one's self that comes out of a sense of He also talks about another journal uh, called Emotion, which reports that every participant in their trials after experiencing awe had decreased symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and their scores for general happiness, satisfaction, and social well-being all improved. This is scientific research that backs up what I said last Sunday about depression, and it supports what the Psalms have been saying for thousands of years, that getting lost in something bigger than yourself is what you need to get out of your introspective spiral that's actually feeding your anxiety and your depression. You need to lift your eyes and behold who God is. Allison and I love getting into the mountains and challenging ourselves physically with different hikes. And when you get up into the Alpine and you're surrounded by glaciers and waterfalls and just majestic mountain views and meadows and wildflowers, it's really easy to be in awe of the beauty that you see. But it's quite another thing to stand in the midst of that place when you're in awe of the beauty that you see and say thank you. To the God who has revealed himself to us, not only as the creator of all of it, but as the redeemer and savior of our lives. The sense of awe that I have in light of who God is makes me want to burst into songs of joy. He is the most high God. He is to be awed at. He's a great king over all of the earth. And that's a big statement you got to think, was written in an ancient world with local deities. In an ancient world of local deities, he is the great king over all the earth. That is quite a claim. Verse 3 said, He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. This is the historic reality of the psalmist that the God who created all things chose this people as his special people, as his covenant people. Not because they were good, but because he is good. And he is a God of love and mercy and justice, and he chose them to be a people who were called to be a light to the nations. 
And in the first six books of the Bible, we see God's people going from freedom and blessing into trials and bondage and eventually into slavery for hundreds of years. And then they were rescued in what we call the Exodus. And they were led by God through the wilderness into the promised land which God promised to them as their heritage, it says in the text. That is their inheritance. I just want us to see this and frame it in light of the historical story of what God has done up to the point where this psalm is written. And when they entered into the promised land, the land that God promised them, he leads them in as the God most high, their great king, they saw how he then subdued the peoples in the land under their feet. In the first four verses of Psalm 47, the the psalmist is saying, if if I can kind of summarize it, worship God, the God who causes you to stand in awe of his goodness and his love because he is the God of all the earth, who conquers enemies and makes good on his promises to give you a place to belong, your heritage or inheritance. Hear what I'm trying to say. When you see him as he is, you should instinctively desire to lay down your own personal autonomy and place yourself in surrender to his will because you're not qualified to be your own king and run your own kingdom. And it's a bit counterintuitive, but this is the answer to the crisis point that we feel living in the city of Vancouver where the functional gospel or the good news of our city is individual autonomy and self-rule. We desire to effectively rule our own lives, where the answer to the desires that we have is the elevation of the individual into the place of highest authority. This is what we're aiming at. And I'm saying Psalm 47 paints a picture of the joyful exuberance of worship that flows out of stepping off of that throne in your life to enthrone God and elevate him to his rightful place. He is the king who conquers the nations and leads his people into the promised land with shouts of joyous praise. But this is pointing forward to something that has not yet happened. It's the historic truth of what had happened, but it's also the prophetic pointing forward of what was to come. See, the true fulfillment of this happens when that most high God is revealed as the gentle and lowly suffering servant, Jesus Christ who conquers all things through his death on the cross and who is raised from the dead, triumphing over Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave, who then ascends to the throne once and for all where he reigns uh, and rules over all things in perfect justice and love and mercy and peace and where from, from where he will then return as the crowned king of all the earth to lead his people to their eternal inheritance. Do you see the same progression of the movement of what he is doing as the Most High God. So Christ City, if you're frustrated or having some kind of existential angst because you're trying to be the king of your own kingdom, can you just recognize today with me that you can actually surrender to that kind of king who lays his life down so that you can gain yours? This is what we see pointed forward to from Psalm 47. This is joy through surrender. 
It's the kind of exuberant joy and praise that comes from surrendering to the will of God. See, the solution to the crisis of our cultural moment is to see God for who he is and to understand our role in his world. That's joy through surrender, now meaning through participation. We live in a world where people have been raised to want and expect a life of meaning. We desire to live a life of an abiding sense of purpose and meaning in what we participate in on a daily basis. We are promised that we can live a life of purpose and meaning. Now, who doesn't want that? I want that. I actually think I have that. But here's my point. I think I have that because I'm not trying to sit on the high and exalted throne of my life, ruling my own kingdom. See, when you're walking in joyful surrender to the will of God, then it's not your job to manufacture a life of purpose and meaning. When you're walking in joyful surrender to God, when you're walking in relationship with the Most High God and He is the King of your life and you're not fighting and trying to hang on to your personal autonomy, your purpose and meaning come to you when you're invited to participate in what He is doing in the world. Let me show you. Verse 8 and the second, the, the first part of verse 9. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Okay, this verse and a half is, is really beautiful, and it's actually a, a compelling passage of Scripture if. It's a compelling passage of Scripture if you know that the Bible is telling one cohesive story from Genesis to Revelation. This is actually a very compelling passage of Scripture if you know that the Bible is one unified story from start to finish. See, unless you're ethnically Jewish, you are part of the nations or the peoples that the psalmists are talking about here. He says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. So just think about this. It's the ancient Israelites who are writing this psalm, but they are declaring that God rules over the nations, not just their nation. That God rules over the peoples, not just their people. That's a pretty wild claim from a reasonably small population living in the ancient Near East. So where would they get this idea from? That their God is the God of the nations, the God of the peoples, the God of all the earth. Where do they get this idea from? The first part of verse 9 is actually the answer. It says, The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Okay. Now we've got to drop into Genesis chapter 12 just for a moment to meet Abraham so that we can connect all the dots in this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God called Abraham, God made a covenant with him. 
And it was not about one nation or one group of people. It is God's universal mission to bless the whole world. And it's important that we see that this is the beginning, the conversation we're having in Psalm 47. The way this was lived out from the time of Abraham through the time where this psalm would have been written and through all of the prophets right up until the birth of Jesus was that the nation that Abraham was to become was called to be a light to all the other nations. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who has his name changed to Israel, who then has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel that become the people who write these psalms. There's something going on here. They then, as a nation, are called to be a light to the nations. This is saying that one day, the princes of the peoples, representative of all of the nations of the earth, would come together as the one people of God. And they're identified here in our passage as the people of the God of Abraham, through whom God said he would bless the whole world. This is the fulfillment that we're seeing here of Genesis 12, and it's what Paul the Apostle later on talks about in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3. Let me show you, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. In you shall... All the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Here's what I'm saying. The Bible is telling one connected story. And when you place your faith in Jesus in July of 2021 in the city of Vancouver... When you repent of your sin and when you trust in Jesus' finished work in your place, you then, by faith, are grafted into this family tree. This is your story. The promise God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and the foreshadowing the psalmists are doing in Psalm 47 all find their fulfillment in the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return of Jesus Christ, the man through whom all nations are truly blessed. And if you're paying attention, you say, what the heck does this have to do with purpose and meaning in my life? I thought you said there was a crisis in our culture today that's the confluence of two cultural assumptions. One, that you should have personal autonomy and individual authority to rule and reign over your own life. And two, that you are promised a life of purpose and meaning. And Brett, you said that those two can't work together, that they're like opposing poles of a, or the, the same pole of a, a magnet that's just repelling from the other and you can't actually get them together. And when you can't get them together, that everybody gets a little bit frustrated and starts to have existential crisis and that's what's happening in the world around us because we believe that we're supposed to have personal autonomy and that we're supposed to have a life of meaning and purpose. What does this in the life of Abraham have to do with my meaning and purpose? That's a great question. God's one mission that we see through the entirety of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation 
connects us as the one people of God. God's one mission that we see woven throughout every page of scripture. That's now your mission because this is now your story and this is your family. See, in Psalm 47, there's a vision of the ingathering of the nations as they come together to worship the Most High God, the King of all the earth. And that's what's happening through the work of Jesus. Jerusalem, you got to think, is the geographical center of this story. This is where the nations are coming to worship God in Psalm 47. In a certain sense, until Jesus there in Jerusalem commissions his disciples to then go to the ends of the earth, the story was all about the nations coming there. So the nations were coming to worship in Jerusalem, worshiping the God of the nations, the God of the peoples, the God of all the earth. They were coming there because there's a sense of magnetism that that the people of Israel were called to be a light to the nations. The peoples, the nations were all coming to worship there. But something happened. Something happened when Jesus rose from the dead. On the Sunday evening of Jesus' resurrection, he tells them something. He's ministering to his disciples. In Luke 24, he says in verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Do you hear that? All nations from Jerusalem. Verse 48 says, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. He's talking about the day of Pentecost and when the Holy Spirit would come upon the church of Jesus Christ, empowering them to then take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. He's saying, if you understand the law and the prophets and the Psalms, you will know that people have come to Jerusalem seeking the salvation that I offer. But Jesus is saying, hang on a second, because you have a task in this world. You have a purpose and a meaning in this world that I'm going to empower you by the Holy Spirit to accomplish. At one time, all people, Jesus is saying, gathered here to worship God, and and that's the way that God made his glory known to the nations. But now, he's saying, rather than everyone from the nations coming here, you're going to go to the nations. In the next stage of the journey, very shortly after this in Luke 24, Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In Psalm 47, the nations gathered, but after the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we are then sent to the nations. When we rightly order our desires and we surrender to his lordship, we see that he is the most high God who invites us into a life of purpose and meaning as we participate with him in what he is doing in the world. He has called each and every one of you to allow him to be the highly exalted king of your life to surrender your personal autonomy 
to his loving lordship. And he has promised each and every one of you a life of meaning and purpose and joy. And when you see that you, even you, are invited to bear witness to the truth of who he is, that his glory might be understood and that he might be worshipped in all of the nations and with all of the peoples. This, this is what he has for you. It's joy through surrender. It's meaning through participation. And listen to what they say. Verse 5. God has gone up with a shout The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. It's the response of a person who has surrendered to his Lordship and been invited into his mission. We praise him. Let me pray. Father, I pray for each and every person sitting in front of whatever device they're in front of, whatever screen they're in front of, whatever audio thing they're listening through right now as they're participating with us as a church. I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to them in power right now. I pray that where they have been hanging on to their own personal, individual autonomy, God, that you would allow them to just be open-handed with that, to lay it at your feet that they would all have the ability to just lay their lives down and say, I want the life you have for me, not the life that I'm clinging on to so tightly. Lord, I pray that each and every person who is hearing this right now would recognize that there is more joy and meaning and purpose by walking in your ways than by trying to resist the leading of your spirits. I just pray they would surrender to you that you give them new meaning in the participation of what you have them doing in whatever it is they do, uh, that, that your glory would be made known through their lives, that it would be for the joy of all those around them. It's in Jesus' name I pray all of this. Amen.